He's back. Just as I'm about to achieve my greatest triumph, that boy scout in blue tights decides to come back. Then again, as I've always said, to pull off the greatest crime of the century, one would want the greatest challenge of the century. Well, Superman, you're going to wish you'd never returned. Welcome to issue number 8 of Comics on Consoles, a podcast that's dedicated entirely to the in-depth exploration of licensed video games featuring the iconic characters of comic books. I'm your host Chris Clow, and in this issue, we're going to be diving into a character whose games I've struggled with choosing for this show because if ever there was a poster child for a disparity between his iconography and his track record in the interactive world, it's this guy. Debuting in 1938's Action Comics No. 1 from that issue's featured story by writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Schuster, Superman is the clear and definitive starting point for this entire phenomenon that we know of as superheroes. Every single superhero character that has ever graced the pages of comics or who's flown across the big or small screen owes a debt to Superman because he was the one who set the standard for what these stories are and in many ways what they're supposed to be. Even Marvel Comics magnate Stan Lee openly talks about the importance of Superman and the establishment of this new genre, saying in a 2006 documentary that all major superhero characters owe a debt to the Man of Steel for starting it all. Still, just because he's the first one doesn't mean that he's always been the most popular one. Over the past several years in particular, Superman has had something of a PR problem with a lot of fans from all over the spectrum accusing him of being inherently passé as well as representing an outdated vision of what we now expect from superheroes. Now, look, if you've arrived at Comics on Consoles from podcasting I've done before at a lot of other places, you're likely familiar with my very, very strong feelings toward the last son of Krypton. To me, he's beyond an icon. He's the embodiment of everything that makes humanity's best traits and aspirations so noble, and I'm in total lockstep agreement with comics writer Grant Morrison when he calls Superman, quote, the single greatest ever idea in the history of the human species. As I've said before, the things that make Superman great never rested on his powers alone. If they did, then he would be what a lot of people perceive him to be, stale as 75-year-old white bread. Let me tell you a little story. A few years ago, I got into what you can likely call a spat with a writer at another website when he wrote an article called 10 Reasons Why Superman Isn't an Interesting Superhero. It was right around the time that movie audiences would be reintroduced to the character through the first DC Extended Universe film directed by Zack Snyder, and as I read it, a lot of the thoughts and feelings I've always had about Superman began to coalesce more solidly into words. So on my own blog, which doesn't get nearly as much attention as it probably should, I wrote a point-by-point -point rebuttal of every single point that the writer, who was frankly unequipped to write about Superman with any recognizable authority, spelled out about why Superman was so purportedly 
week. I've made that blog post available again on this show's official website, but suffice it to say, I kind of unloaded on many of the perceptions that a lot of people have about Superman. My perspective has always been that Clark Kent is the guy that's basically impossible not to like unless you yourself are a jerk. He's always there with a helping hand, a listening ear, and a kind heart. That doesn't mean, though, that he's not capable of knocking a few heads, or scaling for his strength a few tanks, together to make sure that people are protected. I'm of the firm belief that his power has never placed him on a pedestal above humanity, at least not in his own mind. As a child growing up around the amber waves of grain found in Smallville, Kansas, his abilities only made his own differences with his friends and family all the more pronounced. The key element about Clark and Superman, though, is that instead of retreating into his feelings of intense isolation, he simply embraces the fact that he loves people, he loves his adopted world, and puts himself out there to help as much as he possibly can. Superman is the standard bearer for both DC Comics and the superhero itself because of the strength of his status as a symbol. The S-Shield isn't the second most recognizable image on the planet because it doesn't stand for anything. It stands for a lot, and those elements continuously refreshed and re-examined without unnecessary deconstruction over the last three quarters of a century continually speak to me about the inherent strength, power, resilience, and greatness of the Superman character. Now, if only any of his video game adaptations came anywhere near embodying that greatness. Because of his somewhat unique status as the most long-lived superheroic icon in the world, Superman also has the distinction of being the superhero with the longest legacy, in terms of years, in the video game medium. The entire genre upon which this show is based was started in 1979 with the release of Superman for the Atari 2600, which, as far as I can tell, is the very first console video game to be based on a superhero character. While he's appeared in several additional games based on the DC Comics universe at large, Superman himself has starred in a grand total of 14 video games across multiple platforms since the release of that Atari game. That's certainly a far cry from the threshold of characters like the X-Men, which if you remember in issue number 7 of this show, have had games based on them released a total of 13 times between 2000 and 2015, and 12 games between 1990 and 1999. So, compared with a lot of other superheroes, Superman video game releases are somewhat few and far between. That's not to say that he doesn't have any positive gaming legacy, though. There are several instances, which I plan on exploring in detail in the future, where Superman's interactive adventures have produced good gaming experiences. Some of those aren't limited to consoles, as I'm sure there are more than a few people who remember the arcade cabinet Superman game from 1988 that was developed and published by Taito. Still, Superman did have a few notable instances of solid outings on the Super NES, Genesis, GameCube, PS2, and Xbox, but in order to give an effective perspective on the climate of Superman games by the time 2006 rolled around, I have to at least touch on what was happening with the Man of Steel on consoles, starting with the 3D era of gaming. Which, of course, brings me to perhaps the single most infamous comic book video game, and perhaps even the most infamous licensed game, period. The 1999 effort from Titus Software that's largely known today by the moniker Superman 64. 
Trust me, this game will most definitely be getting its own issue of this show down the road. Without going too deeply into specifics, Superman 64 was so monumentally bad that it forever portrayed the mere idea of a Superman-based video game as a daunting, doomed prospect right from the start. Anytime the simple idea of a Superman video game is even mentioned by anyone, it seems that the first thought people have will automatically jump to Titus's dizzyingly awful effort, which ushered in the 3D era of gaming for the Man of Steel. So, efforts by game developers since the year 2000 have always had the dark pall of Titus's goofy mascot fox hanging over them whenever they even think of making a Superman game. This has created a curse in the eyes of gamers and Superman fans covering any possible future explorations someone may try to take the Man of Steel on in the world of video games, and truth be told, that reputation for the vast majority of Superman games that would follow Superman 64 were kind of unwarranted. After acquiring the name to classic game publisher and developer Atari, French video game house Infogrames acquired the Superman license just in time for the dawn of the sixth generation of video game consoles, the one featuring Sony's PlayStation 2, Microsoft's Xbox, and Nintendo's GameCube. Wasting little time, they released two games on different home console platforms in 2002. On the PlayStation 2, and about a year later the GameCube, they released Superman Shadow of Apocalypse, which was based on the characters as they appeared in 1996's Spectacular Superman the Animated Series. Because the infamous N64 game was also based on that same show, and because it was made more widely available, Shadow of Apocalypse generally garnered more attention, and was relatively well-liked when it hit consoles. Just a couple of months later, and exclusive to Microsoft's Xbox platform, they released an entirely different game, Superman the Man of Steel, which was based on the characters as they were depicted in the comics from the period of about 1999 through 2001. Anyone remember Superman Y2K? Because that was the main focal point of the game's story. Although ambitious, Man of Steel was a little difficult to control, which by my estimation made critics scream a bit too loudly about how the game allegedly continued the curse of Superman 64. I plan on devoting future issues of Comics on Consoles to both of these games, and definitely look forward to making my case for why Superman the Man of Steel may be the best Superman video game ever made. But, of course, that's not for today. The last video game released under the purview of Atari and Infogrames was Superman Countdown to Apocalypse, which was sold as a sort of companion game to the recently released GameCube port of Shadow of Apocalypse. It was not well received. The next time Superman would appear in a video game wouldn't be until after he finally made his return to movie theaters. For those of you who remember Christopher Reeve's final turn as the Man of Steel in 1987's Superman IV The Quest for Peace, you may remember what the very last words were that were spoken in that film. After dropping Lex Luthor off at the prison quarry where we found him at the beginning of the film, right before he flies away, Superman tells his nemesis, Is the world going to be vaporized? No, Luthor. It's as it always was, on the brink, with good fighting evil. See you in 20. The crazy thing about that line is that it was extremely, and coincidentally, prophetic. After a series of false starts that plagued the character at Warner Brothers Pictures for the next several years, it really would be 
19 years until we were able to see Superman at the movies again when Superman Returns was released in theaters on June 28, 2006. Because The Quest for Peace came out in the summer of 87, about six months before I was born, Superman Returns became the first theatrically released Superman movie released in my lifetime. And though it has its ardent defenders and detractors alike, there are few things in life that can take away from my experience of sitting in a theater, watching the credits envelop the screen through the dark expanse of space, and hearing the John Williams theme blare with the full power of a theater's sound system. It was an experience I made sure to relish as long as I possibly could. I returned to the theaters five more times to watch The Man of Steel grace the silver screen, because back then, who knew? Would it be another two decades before he would come back? It was difficult to tell, especially considering the lukewarm critical reaction and lower-than-average box office take for superhero films of the time that Superman Returns earned in comparison. But of course, and classically, I'm getting ahead of myself a bit. Before it became clear to moviegoers everywhere what kind of a film Superman Returns actually was, people were excited about the prospect of Superman's triumphant return, and Warner Brothers doubled down by making sure that the film would have a licensed video game experience to go along with it. After Infogrames' time with the Superman video game license expired, it was picked up by none other than the game-developing and publishing titan known as Electronic Arts sometime in 2003. For a while, they sat on that license until all of a sudden, in early October of 2005, while Superman Returns was winding down its active production in Sydney, Australia, EA, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment, and DC Comics announced that our subject game, Superman Returns the Video Game, would be released alongside the upcoming film the following June. One thing about comic book games of the early 2000s is that many of them began to understand that even if they were movie tie-ins, they didn't necessarily have to stay strictly beholden to the story that the movie told. By that point, two Spider-Man games based on the films of director Sam Raimi had wisely decided to incorporate a wider cast of villains from the comics, and both of the released efforts by that point in time did so pretty effectively. In issue number three of this show, we told you about how the game based on the 2003 Hulk film had gone off in an entirely different direction than the story of the movie, telling a wholly original tale about Bruce Banner a whopping eight years after the events of the film. Really, one of the last comics-based movie games that stayed pretty rigidly within the time frame and characters of the movie it was based on was Batman Begins, also published by EA, which we explored in issue number one of this show. Prominently in the press release announcing the existence of the Superman Returns game was the statement that it would, quote, borrow from over 60 years of comic book history to supplement the story of the film and make it a better, more well-rounded video game experience rather than a simple and rigid movie tie-in. When first hearing about this, I was pretty immensely and perhaps even unreasonably excited, largely because I feel strongly that Superman's rogues gallery is extraordinarily underrated. Throughout the modern age of comics, Lex Luthor has always been fascinating, but I've also always been enamored with villains like Brainiac, The Parasite, Bizarro, Toy Man, Metallo, Hank Henshaw, as well as extended adversaries like the Disciples of Darkseid from Apocalypse, as well as the major DCU despot himself. Indeed, in the game, you encounter the likes of Mongol, Bizarro, Metallo, Mr. Mixie Spitlick, and you kind of encounter Luther. 
that's certainly more recognizable Superman villains than you found in the movie. Perhaps the single most interesting aspect of Superman Returns, though, laid in the fact that it was going to be an open-world superhero game. It wouldn't be the first one, of course, since 1998's Batman and Robin on the PS1 attempted to explore that kind of gameplay, but the undisputed champion was, and some people may argue still is, 2004's Spider-Man 2, developed by Treyarch. Of course, when you say the phrase open world and add the factor of Krypton's last son, it conjures more immediate capability in regards to elements like locomotion and the powers that are inherent in Superman. Spider-Man 2 made the excellent choice of populating the game's version of New York City with a great variety of things to do, from petty crimes to stop, to supervillains that you needed to foil, and even children's errant balloons to rescue. Hopefully, Superman Returns would follow in Spider-Man 2's footsteps, especially considering the size of the world that EA Tiberon was constructing for it. Almost up until the moment of release, Electronic Arts was touting the size of the game's version of Metropolis. The total size of the city you're charged with exploring and saving is an impressive 80 square miles, arguably one of the largest open worlds ever produced during that era of video gaming. Certainly nobody expected Superman Returns to challenge open-world video game powerhouse franchise Grand Theft Auto from Rockstar Games, but fans were certainly looking on in hope to both revitalize Superman's spotty reputation in interactive outings, and perhaps to give Spider-Man 2 a run for its money as one of the best superhero games ever produced. While I could likely talk ad nauseum about the powers that Superman has exhibited in the comics and radio, animation, television, and film over the last 75 plus years, the game wisely decided to keep the full repertoire of the character's abilities limited to a few key examples. In the game, Superman is able to utilize super speed, heat vision, super breath, and freeze breath, while his super hearing is represented by the game's mini-map, with random crises becoming detectable based on his ability to hear, well, everything. Perhaps the most unique gameplay innovation in relation to the character's power level is in his invulnerability. Superman himself cannot be killed in this game, and he has no dedicated health meter. That doesn't mean that the city can't be destroyed, though. Instead of giving Superman himself a life meter, the life meter on your heads-up display instead signifies the health of the city of Metropolis. On its head, this seems like a pretty unique approach in getting around a chief issue of representing Superman in video games. Of course he can't be killed, but the people and structures present in the city of Metropolis certainly can be. That definitely seems like a solid idea in actually representing Superman and his immense physical durability. And of course, the last most major ability for Superman in the game is his ability to fly. Flight represents the game's primary element of locomotion around Metropolis, and in pre-release materials it looked as though the developers at EA Tiberon really wanted to nail the feel and freedom of flight as best as possible. Perhaps the most awe-inspiring element of the game's flight system is in the maximum speed you're able to fly. While you're in the air, pressing and holding the right bumper on your controller allows you to start moving faster than a speeding bullet at super speed. While there's an obvious trade-off with overall maneuverability, the act of flying at super speed is well represented by turning you into that red and blue streak you'd likely know pretty well from the comics. Holding down the super speed button will actually cause you to move even faster, eventually breaking a series of speed barriers 
signified by the air cracking and rushing through your ears. Hold the button down for long enough, and you create a slowly revving sound until you create a sonic boom and break the sound barrier. Another interesting element of the game outside of actually playing it is the soundtrack. As a fan, I was excited because an early rendered trailer actually featured a version of the classic John Williams-composed Superman theme, which the Superman Returns movie would also make use of. I was under the impression that the game would as well, but unfortunately, the soundtrack is a largely generic, triumphant-sounding trumpet fest. But the interesting element about it is that it actually features a series of different themes that are triggered to play based on your altitude. Flying close to the ground through the city causes a more trumpety theme to play, and yes, that's a technical term, while ascending above the clouds brings a gentler, more tranquil audio backdrop as the Man of Steel hovers in the heavens. Perhaps the highest profile audio element in the game, though, came with the game's cast. EA Tiberon secured the actors who played Superman, Lois Lane, Lex Luthor, Jimmy Olsen, and new character Kitty Kowalski to play their corresponding parts in the game. Brandon Routh returned as the Man of Steel, Kate Bosworth reprised her role as the Daily Planet star reporter, Kevin Spacey once again gave life to the Man of Steel's arch-nemesis, Sam Huntington portrayed the cub reporter and photographer who always called Mr. White Chief, and Parker Posey vocalized her version of Luther's henchwoman and or girlfriend. I'm not really sure still what their relationship was. Well, that's only half true. I did read the comic book lead-ups to Superman Returns, but who knows if those are in continuity. Now, of course, the game. It was all scheduled to be released day and date with the film in late June of 2006, but in early May, word came down during an EA call to investors that this wasn't quite going to happen. On the call, EA Executive VP and General Manager of North American Publishing Frank Gibo put on his best business voice and explained, quote, The ambitious nature of the open-world design proved to be fairly challenging with regard to hitting the launch window for the film, and we wanted to look at a long-term opportunity here with Superman, so as a result we moved the product release to the fall to coincide with the DVD at Holiday. Actually, from a publishing standpoint, the DVD release at Holiday is a nice combination. There are more vehicles for us to market and promote the game, and we're going to get a better game this fall than we would have with the movie release. End quote. I actually don't know if he sounded like that. That's just kind of how I imagine he sounded. So, Anyway, I actually remember hearing this news and was surprisingly okay with the reasoning. I didn't actually have a system that could play the game yet, which may have softened the blow a bit, but my logic was something along the lines of, well, good. Give them all the time they need to make the best Superman game they possibly can. By coinciding the game with the DVD release of the film, that put the game on track to be released in November. In October, EA Tiberon had performed some outreach for the press called EA Community Day, which invited a guy named Neil Bailey out with a few other online press outlets to actually test the game out about a month before it would hit stores. The thing that set Neil apart from a lot of the other outlets is that he was there representing the premier Man of Steel presence on the web, supermanhomepage.com. But more on that story later. For now, let's move forward a little bit. When the game was released that November, I found myself feeling 
pretty mortified. Instead of a well-thought-out and effectively polished Superman gaming experience like we were promised by EA, and since when do they ever lie to gamers, we received a game that was scathingly reviewed by fans and critics alike. IGN gave the Xbox 360 version a dismal 5.5 out of 10. GameSpot went lower and gave it a 4.5 out of 10. 1UP.com gave it a D-. GamePro gave it a 2.5 out of 5. Eurogamer gave it 3 out of 10. What the hell happened? This was supposed to be the game that saved Superman gaming, and instead it has a reputation that reinforces the Superman gaming curse? By the time the game was actually on store shelves, it would still be a while before I got a chance to play it. Then, in the summer of 2007 and on a total whim, I walked into a pawn shop in central Bellingham, Washington, and saw that they had a 20GB Xbox 360 Pro with two controllers and a plain charge kit for a surprisingly reasonable price. I had a little extra money that was burning a hole in my pocket and thought I was a happy Wii owner by that time, but I decided then that it was time for me to get my very first HD-capable console. I bought that sucker on the spot, but didn't actually get a game to go with it. Having rented a movie the day before, I remembered seeing a distinctive used game at a blockbuster video near my house for sale on clearance. Do, do you remember those? They don't really exist anymore. But anyway, I raced with my newly purchased Xbox 360 13 miles north to that establishment to see if they still had it in stock. Lo and behold, the very first game I ever bought as an Xbox 360 owner was none other than Superman Returns. It was finally time to see what the hell had just happened. Popping the game in for the first time, the thing that I found myself having to most adjust to was the 360 itself. When you powered that original model on and the disk drive started moving, it sounded like a 747 was about to take off next to your TV. So I put on a little more volume and finally started to see Superman Returns begin. The introduction to the game is a pretty typical controls tutorial, and the first thought I remember having the first time I played was that the game's actor for Jor-El didn't even make an effort to sound like Marlon Brando. Already my 19-year-old self started to have a thought saying that it was going to be that kind of game. In hindsight, that's not really a fair criticism, and as I would soon realize, that was the least of the game's problems. Unsurprisingly, the best feeling you get when playing Superman Returns is as you fly around Metropolis. Though the game barely maintains a 30fps target and likely dips into the low 20s a lot of the time, the impact on the overall feeling of flight is minimal. Soaring among the skyscrapers of the film's deco vision of Metropolis felt great, and Superman Returns actually proved to be a pretty solid introduction into the overall power and capability of 7th generation gaming hardware overall. I remember being utterly mystified by the presence of flying birds along me in some spots of the city, and the overall area of Metropolis is really rather extraordinary. It makes you feel like you're free as a bird. Unfortunately, that feeling fades pretty quickly. The story of the game actually uses the narrative of the film as its primary backdrop and plays around the story to suit its own ends. As in the film, Superman thinks that he may be able to locate his home planet, but it becomes clear that all he found was a graveyard. 
First innovation the game makes is in Superman's return trip to Earth. He's actually intercepted by an alien entity and is forced to fight for the amusement of a despot by the name of Mongol. This instance of the game is the first true test of the combat system. Since the map you're fighting in is smaller, the frame rate stays more consistently at around 30 FPS, making for a more balanced experience. Still, this is where you can start to understand that the controls are a little too loose for their own good. A big part of the combat in this area is grabbing giant objects with Superman's immense strength and moving them around the map, but although the flight system is generally refined, it feels surprisingly imprecise when trying to move larger objects. This is also where you realize that even with Superman's most iconic offensive ability at your disposal in the form of his heat vision, it's immensely ineffective against enemies. There are some lower level pawns you can dispatch with a sustained blast of heat vision, sure, but that accounts for probably about 10% of the total adversaries you meet in the game and forces you to rely on fisticuffs instead. The actual melee combat of the game is also an extraordinarily laborious exercise since it relies on a convoluted system of combos for you to actually make any progress against some of the bigger enemies in the game. That element of the game is actually far more reminiscent, surprisingly so, of something like Aquaman Battle for Atlantis than anything else. Blocking from attacks only seems to work part of the time, as a lot of larger enemies will use a block-breaking area of effect attack that sends you flying backward, even if you think you blocked it at the right time. After dispatching of Mongol and his minions, you then begin the game in earnest in the giant metropolis. The feeling of freedom granted by the game's flying system is, unfortunately, quickly disintegrated by the sheer onslaught of total crap you're going to have to deal with at every turn. It becomes clear outside of a few, and I mean very few, pre-rendered cutscenes that the game is extremely light on story. In fact, the only time you even see Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor, Parker Posey's Kitty Kowalski, Sam Huntington's Jimmy Olsen, or Kate Bosworth's Lois Lane is in the cutscenes. None of those characters actually appear in the game itself. As for the open world metropolis, even though it's massive and is beautiful to take in the first time you actually play the game, it is extraordinarily empty. Unlike a game like Spider-Man 2, you can't actually go in any of the buildings. Everything is just for show. So because of that, even though there's bustling traffic and lots of pedestrians, the actual city itself is impotent, substanceless, and empty. For all you know playing through the game, Metropolis might just be an 80 square mile vision of cardboard and Christmas lights. There's nothing to explore. About halfway through what you can politely call the game's campaign, you encounter the primary adversaries. Dragons. Yeah. That's, that's right. Dragons. From some less-than-serviceable story element about genetic mutations gone wrong, you encounter dragons that breathe either fire or ice. The ice dragons can be dealt with by your heat vision, while the fire dragons are dealt with by your freeze breath. How about that? Encounters with Bizarro are also exercises in madness, because that city life bar I told you about earlier is depleted very quickly, and when you encounter an enemy that can give your immense speed a serious run for its money, it likely won't be long until you actually see the city destroyed, according strictly to your life bar, by the way, not the game's actual map, 
and that forces you to start over from your most recent save. The game is also littered with mini-games at the hands of the 5th Dimension imp himself, Mr. Mixispitlick. There are 50 kittens hidden around the game map, but in the last 10 years, I still haven't quite managed to find them all. And I have been trying off and on. My problem is that there's no mechanism in the game to reveal them on the minimap, and it's not exactly easy to find out how many you've actually found so far either. The only real source you can rely on is online screen grabs of where other players found the kittens, and the screenshots are small and low resolution, making it an unequivocal pain in the ass. And alas, even after I actually suffered through the main campaign, I was given one final blow of disappointment with the stunning realization that the game's final boss wasn't Metallo, and it wasn't Bizarro, it wasn't even Lex in his iconic green and purple mech suit, and it wasn't one of the typical enemy pawns littered around the map in earlier levels of the game. It was a simply beaten, unceremonious tornado. Yeah, a tornado versus Superman. I wonder who's going to win. As of this moment in late summer 2016, Superman Returns currently stands as the last dedicated console-based Superman video game ever released. Sure, he's appeared in a plethora of other DC Universe-wide games, but no developer since has actually tried to make a AAA console or PC-based game experience starring only the Man of Steel and his supporting cast of characters. One was almost made in the late 2000s, but it never came to pass. So the Superman gaming curse, as some call it, is still in full force, and there's currently no concrete indication that we'll see another solo Superman gaming experience in the future, outside of some unconfirmed rumors. Will we eventually get one? Yeah, I'm pretty confident of that. We just have no idea how or when it'll actually happen. Superman Returns was supposed to be the game that plucked us out of our freefall and flew us to the safety of solid ground in a way that only one or two 3D console-based Superman games had done before. As a big fan of superhero games overall and of comics characters, and the Man of Steel in particular, it's hard for me not to look back at the Superman Returns game and not feel a bit of pessimistic bitterness towards it. It's certainly not the worst comic book game ever made, but we absolutely needed more if Superman gaming was going to prosper, and it's difficult not to look back at this release in particular as the decisive nail in the coffin of Superman gaming for the last decade, and who knows how much longer this one will stand as the last major solo Superman game ever made. So I guess you can say that I personally kind of grade it on a heavily downward curve since it was up to this game and the developers at EA Tiberon to really show gamers why Superman was a character worth adapting in the video game medium. Instead, we got another pretty faceless, mediocre movie tie-in, as opposed to the soaring experience that fans everywhere were really hoping to get this time. But, it definitely looked deceptively good in the weeks leading up to its actual release, and one guy who would definitely know joins me for this issue's discussion portion. Over the course of this conversation, we not only talk about the co-host's unique and direct experience with this game, but on the state of Superman at large, and what we both think could prove to be a helpful philosophy in actually translating the original superhero into an interactive environment. Hope you enjoy. 
anything familiar? I see an old man's sick joke. Really? Because I see my new apartment. And a place for Kitty and one for my friends. And that one over there I'm going to rent out. It's a nice loft kind of look. But you know, you're right. It is a little cold. It's a little... What's the word? Um, alien. It needs the human touch. I don't have time for this, Luther. You have something that belongs to me. You're asking yourself how. Kryptonite! Amazing, isn't it? And now we move on to the discussion portion of the show, and I have a very, very special guest joining me who's going to uh, to take us back to when EA was probably getting ready to kick up the hype machine for our subject game uh, with Superman fans. And my guest certainly qualifies as a Superman fan, but in the intervening decades since this game came out, he's also uh, made quite a name for himself as an independent comics creator in his own right. Very intelligent guy, an excellent writer, and someone I'm very glad to have on with me, Mr. Neil Bailey. Well, hello, Chris. Thank you for the flattery. Hey, hey. It's uh, it's easy to, to lay at your feet, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> So, Neil, give us a little bit of a background. So you and I actually met because you were kind of a staff writer, per se, at the Superman homepage. So you know Superman. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I bumped into the Superman homepage around 2000, um, mostly because I was just 20 years old, desperately looking for places to write. And, sure. Um, Superman homepage had always been a site that I went to because I was, as you said, a Superman fan. Um, and I picked up writing a couple of reviews because one of the reviewers had dropped out and it just kind of went from there. Uh, did that for 10, 11 years, got, uh, most known for the Smallville reviews, but I did a lot of stuff around Superman Returns and, uh, the, the, the lead up and coverage of the movie. Yeah. Cause you pretty much reviewed every single episode from start to finish of Smallville. Is that right? Well, close. I, uh, I stopped at around eight because I had an enormous issue with seeing, Seeing uh, Clark Kent dressed in a black trench coat go to a top uh, building and destroy twin towers with his heat vision, I found that a little <laughs> in bad taste, and so I bowed away from the from the from the show um, and and uh, stepped away from the reviewing for a while. And I did I did the finale review because people asked for it, but I kept on doing the knockout count, which was the feature that we did for I don't know seven out of the eleven years or ten years or however long it ran. So sure. Right. Yeah. Well, and that that show did certainly take some uh, liberties, I guess you could say, with uh, with Superman. They, they beat that cat until it was nothing but skin. Yeah. I mean, 10 years on the air, I guess will do that. Uh, but hey, you know, I mean, it uh, it obviously paved the way for something down the line that has been pretty well received so far. Yeah. Um, but let's go. Let's go to Superman Returns. So obviously. Uh, Superman Returns was going to be the first theatrically released Superman film in 19 years. Yes, after, so, after like many, many fits and starts that failed and were, didn't come off the ground at J.J. Abrams, the script of which was insane. Right, um, yeah. And, you know, the Batman versus Superman movie that they never made. Oh, wait! <laughs> <You know? laughs> but there was an original version that was much more... Uh, I don't know if it was sensible, but it was more coherent, I guess. <laughs> so uh, they decided to uh, stay a little bit more in the Richard Donner camp in order to revive the series, I guess, for people to see a more recognizable vision of Superman, at least from a, from a character perspective, from a thematic perspective, to a point. Right. But obviously, you know, in, in the 
early to mid-2000s one of the regular realities of a big-budget comic book blockbuster movie was a video game adaptation. Right. And um, Superman, I don't need to tell you, nor do I probably need to tell anybody that hears this, but Superman has had what you could politely describe as a spotty history in the video game medium. <laughs> one of one of the most reviled superhero games in existence. In fact, perhaps the standard bearer of bad superhero games is a Superman game. Yes. Uh, but, you know, the, the early 2000s saw some promising steps for Superman video games. I remember enjoying Shadow of Apocalypse when it came out in 2003, which was based on the animated series. So going into the Superman Returns game, as someone who was sort of disconnected from uh, what the game was likely going to be, I was optimistic about it, but I remember floating across the Superman homepage one day and seeing a rather in-depth breakdown of a press visit to EA's <laughs> offices about Superman Returns, and it was, of course, written by Neil Bailey. Yes, it uh, it got me in a little bit, well, not trouble, because there was no trouble to be had, but <laughs> I, I did get an, an angry letter, as I recall. Or no, I think Steve got the angry letter, um, because there was a little bit of uh, the tail wagging the dog for the whole process. Um, sure. But yeah, it, uh, it started, I'm guessing, around, oh, Three or four months before the game was supposed to come out, maybe it was longer, but but uh, they were they were fishing for uh, for press people that they wanted to take to Tiberon. I think I'm maybe butchering the pronunciation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted people to come and check out the video game. Um, and Steve and I were fairly well. I was more apprehensive than Steve, but but that's just because I'm very very wary of the idea of someone buying a review. And that was a huge rage back in the mid 2000s, accusing Harry Knowles of having his reviews bought and people getting getting lots of things to kind of and and I think it's happened for time out of mind that people give you a nice bag of swag and are like, hey, give us a good word, because um, it kind of greases the skid a little bit. Yeah, um, sure. but it's something that I was kind of morally opposed opposed to. So um, they were he was going to ask initially Barry, another writer, to go, and I don't think I think Barry didn't want to, or he didn't have an Xbox, and I had the lone Xbox. I didn't even have this 360 yet, um, mm. which wasn't out. Uh, as I recall, it was, or if it was out, it was so new that I was too broke to have it yet. And, um, so they were like, somebody's got to go to this. And I was like, well, I can't afford to fly to Florida. And they're like, no, no, they'll, they'll pay for your airfare. I'm like, what? And they'll put you up in a hotel. What? And they'll, uh, and they'll let you play the game and, and, and go to, uh, go to press things. I'm like, they'll treat us like press. Cause you know, I mean, they don't treat comic book press like press. I mean, they, they may treat <laughs> right. gaming press like press sometimes, but it takes a lot to get, to get someone who's trying to do comic book press, even, um, any kind of attention at all. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, you know, I say, sure, I'll go. Cause you know, I'm, I, I'm the, uh, stay at home writer type and, and I had the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the tickets actually came in the mail, <laughs> which was a surprise. <laughs> and I flew all the way over there. And there were actually people to meet me. It wasn't a big gag or prank, which I expected. Sure. Um, and arriving there, you, 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 there was just this huge gaggle of game journalists, like maybe uh, eight and me. Um, well, I think there was a, there was a, one more gentleman. I, um, not superhero hype, but um, it was one of the uh, one of the sites that, uh, and I should know this because he's a friend. At least I consider him a friend, and he has a companion site to the Superman homepage. It's just I'm I'm six years out of writing for the Superman homepage, so I've forgotten a lot of the names and faces I met on a regular basis. Sure. Um, 
But there was one Superman journalist there, um, and he was more of a general comics journalist, and then I was kind of like the specialized Superman guy. Um, and they ended up taking us to this hotel that I found out later, or at least was told, was like a $2,000 hotel room. Um, <laughs> and I'm the kind of guy, I don't know, I've always been staying in like, uh, I don't know, $100 Sixty to a hundred dollar uh, hotel rooms my entire life, and that was if I was lucky. And you know, you could right a Holiday Inn and Econo Lodge, and you know, stuff that is cheap to stay in, and it'll give you a roof over the head, right? Right, yeah. And the way I described, it, I think in a novel is like the the the, uh, the the kind of hotel that fights for its half star. You know, there you go. Um, <laughs> and um, so you know, I I, I kind of check in, and then the next day we're supposed to do a press event, and they offer. Uh, a dinner, and so they take us to a dinner, and and all of these guys apparently are fairly used to this kind of treatment. Like in gaming journalism, apparently this is fairly common. But um, they're like, order anything you want, open bar. And I'm not a huge drinker, but I'm like seeing these guys blang blang blang, and I'm like, this is Hunter Thompson crap here. This hasn't happened in 30 years in America. Uh, but apparently it's happening on the gaming journalism side of things. At least 10 years ago, maybe it's all changed right. now, and they got a they got an expense account. Who knows? But <laughs> so we do that. We go to bed. We and, and but uh, we spend a couple of days looking at the, the the game in depth. And I've got we've got what is kind of a handler. And he was a really nice guy. And I hope I didn't get him in any trouble. But um, he was leading us around. And I had a video camera. I was like, I want to cover this as in depth as I can because I'm a nut. And I'm like, I got this camera. I'll set it up wherever you let me set it up. And the dude was even kind enough to get me a tape. You know, like, because uh, my tape had a technical issue. He's like, take the tape, because it was mini-DV at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And <laughs> and so he set me up with this tape. He set me up with, the, with a place to put the camera. I had my tripod and whatnot. And they were going to give presentations where they showed a little bit of the game, and they let us play a little bit of the game. Um, and so they had a gentleman I uh, used to, with the videos you saw that I posted on the Superman homepage. And it took forever to upload those. I think it was four hours of video where I just basically had someone from EA describing every facet of the game um, and what they were intending to do, the process that they went about doing it. Um, and uh, I, basically they took us into a room, let us play test it, and they did them. It was set up so that it was almost like uh, one of those one of those game tests that you would try in, at San Diego, where you, sure. you get a controller and a, a, a kind of, um, sandbox level that gives you one of the climactic fights of the game so you get excited about the game and it was the Metallo fight um, which mm-hmm. was actually pretty good it was next gen graphics and it was at the time it was pretty good uh, I had a really good time but they very clearly cherry picked a lot of the places in the game um, that I later after I played the game realized were some of the highlights as opposed to some of the flaws in the game because uh, I think the as I recall, the flight or the flight system was really, really great, and the boss system was really, really great. But the basic bumpity bumps between levels where you fight goons was very repetitive and not as um, not as exciting. Um, but it was to say the least, right? Yeah, uh, and it, it's weird because you're you're right. Superman has had a long and checkered history of of uh, video games, and I've been there for almost all of it. I would say I played the original Superman on the Atari, which I quite enjoyed. You know, the one that was <laughs> and uh, where it very, very seldomly actually looked like Superman instead of blocks. Um, right. Yeah. And, and then there was that uh, there was really the, the really awesome side scrolling arcade one um, in the 90s. 
the death and return of Superman. Uh, no, no, not the uh, not the Blizzard one, but the one that was actually in arcades. Where it was oh, right, yeah. I actually I went to the Superman celebration in Metropolis a couple of weeks ago, and they had it in the museum, yeah. and my jaw dropped to the and floor. It's, it's like that's one of the genuinely good Superman games, but it's just a punch, 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 less powers. You can get it on an arcade emulator if you were of the type to do that kind of illegal thing, which I'm not certainly. Um, <laughs> And but it's it's an amazing game. But then there was that long dry spell with Superman sixty four, which I played to the end. <laughs> wow. Which I still take credit for. And there was a Death As you should. Man from Blizzard, which I think is probably one of the high watermarks of Superman games. Mm-hmm. Um there was that Man of Steel game. But yeah, so I get to play this game. And uh I get to fight Metallo, and it actually looks like Metallo to a degree, like a giant version of the post crisis Metallo. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, so, so I was pretty jazzed. I was like, "Hey, you know what? Maybe I won't have to be morally conflict- conflicted. I won't have to worry about uh, being bought." Um, and I, I actually mentioned in, in the review, as I recall, the fact that they had they had given us all those things because I was like, "I'm not going to write anything for you guys unless I can give full disclosure." And they were like, "Totally cool," and they were really great people. And I took all that video and and I ate like a pig for three straight days on the time <laughs> of EA. Um, and and then I I flew home. Um, and I, and I had really great contacts with all the guys that were all great. I get back, I post my review, um, and I put up all the videos and, and I do, I remember I did this little thing as a, as I recall where I, where I wrote the guy and I'm like, are you sure it's okay to put four hours of detailed video of this, of this game on our site? And he was like, yep, sure. You know, and like, and I was like, so, so he gave me the tape. He let me set up the tripod and the camera. He gave me the okay. This has got to be okay, even though it's kind of in depth. And I was like, it's grainy video, yeah, but you know, and and people seemed to to dig it. Um, mm-hmm. They watched it. They loved it. it. Had a little bit, I think, on the mixes Pitalik and uh, the Bizarro factor and the way that they put them into the game. It didn't show gameplay, as I recall, or if it did, it was just minor spatches. But anyway, so we get an immediate email back, like, get that off the internet. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, and so, like, boom, it came down in it. I don't know, I think it was up maybe six hours, because we put it up early, and and very few people noticed it. Um, But people who would regularly hit the site got to see it. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it was just cease and desist taken off. Not, like, not a lawyer letter, but very much a, you were not given permission to do this, and, you know, you're never coming to anything EA again kind of thing. (laughs) And I was like, wow. given the pace that Superman games come out, I'll... uh, probably worry about that in 2016 (laughs) but um it was kind of a crazy experience um it was very much rock star journalism um or gone journalism to a degree the likes of which i never saw before and will never see again um (laughs) it was for a game that ultimately i'm surprised they poured that much money and time into um but I think like Batman v Superman, I think they thought that they had a very clear super money maker on their hands. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how the game did financially, actually, but they were treating it like it was going to sell as many copies as a, as a Gears of War or as a Halo series or like it was going to be a super franchise. Um, and I, I, I obviously do you know how it turned out how financially? Uh, from what I understand, it was m- Considered a moderate success at best, uh, but it was certainly. It, I mean, the thing that happened with the with the release schedule is that it was originally supposed to come out day and date with the theatrical release of the movie. Right. And uh, then it was uh, strangely delayed 
to November, which would be right around the time of the DVD release. And coming so close to uh, to the release, that's, that doesn't usually bode well for uh, for video games by any means. Yeah. Um, so when it actually did come out, uh, I, I remember because I was actually working at a um, at a Circuit City, so in the video game section. So I was kind of trying to uh, to sell it alongside the uh, the relatively recent Xbox 360. It had been out for about a year at that point. I think it first hit the market in November of 2005. And uh, I, had, I had a difficult time. And I remember seeing the reviews because I was really looking forward to it. While I was always hungry for a good Batman game, specifically, I always wanted a good Superman game. Uh, Superman was in... It, it could, even with Batman's shape in video games, which wasn't great at that point, Superman obviously still needed a good video game experience, and frankly still needs a, uh, a representative good video game experience. But uh, from what I understand, the the sales were rather crippled by the pretty negative word of mouth that came out almost immediately as soon as it hit shelves. Yeah, I think I think that would make sense because after the game came out, I think I gave I ended up giving it a positive review. At that point, I had a lot of stars in my eyes about it, though, um, mostly just because I I really dug the the flight mechanic in the game. Um, yeah, because it had the sonic boom. It like it, you're right. They never get a good circumspect Superman game. The closest they've ever come is that Death and Return of Superman, and that's only because it had good gameplay. It wasn't necessarily a good Superman game, but mm-hmm. but that flight where you get where you hit the sonic boom, just flying around was was worth about half the price of admission in that game. Sure, but the powers were kind of you know. And and he, as I recall, the life bar thing they did it where it kind of can't comes back if you fly towards the sun. That was all right, but um, it was a lot like those early Spider-Man tie-ins to the movies, where it would try and skirt around the the movie storyline instead of you know instead of sticking to the movie. And and I, as I recall, it had it cut to War World and Mongol, and essentially like as he's on the way to check out Krypton on that five-year trip, he ends up. Uh, Ends up in a giant dome fighting fighting bad guys for 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 Mongol, and that was a little bit hard to swallow and sure. um, a little bit cliched. But at least they kind of tried to incorporate some of the mytho- mythology elements. But I don't know. I can't really think of many Superman games that have nailed it or pulled it off like that. It's kind of and, and but but I don't think I, eh, thinking of over all of them, if I had to choose a top five Superman video game it might be in the top five but i don't be i think it'd be in the top three or four and there are there aren't even maybe more than 10 or 15 in existence right there aren't there aren't that many but you you know your point about the spider-man games i think is well taken because the the raimi tie-in games for the for spider-man they did kind of take the approach where the the story for the movie was sort of a starting point where they would then pepper in some more memorable Spider-Man villains around it and give you something that's that's kind of representative of the movie, but kind of representative of the comics. And you could tell that that was definitely an intent of this game. Yeah. Uh, you know, by bringing in Bizarro, by bringing in Mongol, by bringing in Mongol's uh, cronies. Uh, I, I don't think that they have roots in the mythology. I might be remembering that incorrectly. I think they but... were created characters, yeah, because yeah. generally rules with an iron fist, and he has, <laughs> at that point, there was Mon Gal, 
I think, was she in that game? I think Mong Gal might have been in that game. I don't remember seeing her in that game, but because he always had in the game when you would prepare to fight him just randomly on the streets of Metropolis, right. he would always have these two other characters with him. One of them would grow to near uh, Metallo sizes, right. and another one he had he had another specialized power. It's escaping me at the moment, right. but. I mean, the thing with the the Superman Returns game, my hopes were certainly very high for it, especially after reading what you had to say about it. Um, now, you did a pretty... I'm, I'm remembering, I think, that you did a pretty good job of describing the fact that they took care of you. Yeah. You know, well, they, so... And they seem to the, take care to try and make a good Superman game. That's got That's something I should bring up. It's, it's, sure. it's not like... I mean, they may have failed, um, but they. It, it was very clear... Because they let us tour the production area, and that little metropolis that they'd done, some some poor poor person had had to take tiny um, pieces of wood represented of each uh, part of the city, and build metropolis in a giant model form. I posted a whole bunch of pictures of it, and I still have some of them. Um, that they 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 took painstaking care. To make that metropolis, every single building um, was, and, and they took the old comic book historical maps of like where's Hobbs Bay, where's you know, where's Bibbo's and all those, and they and where's Lex's thing, and they and they worked really hard, kind of like they do in the Batman games, to give it a sense of this is a city that has been in existence for a while, and these are are the old towns, and these are the new cities, and you know the hyper sector. Um, and they took great pains. Um, they had copies of all the old video games in a case, you know, like your Superman 64, your uh, Death and Return of Superman. They were looking at those and trying to move forward and find a way. Um, I think they might have been hindered a little bit by either the technology or the rush, but it was very clear from a production standpoint that they really cared about the characters and that they were trying to do a good job. So Sure. Well, and if that comes through, you know, that, that that should count for a lot, at least as far as the effort is concerned. But, um, you know, from from the perspective of the, the gaming press, it's relatively easy to see that there were several uh, design shortcomings with the experience. It had a lot of really good intentions. But, um, I mean, the thing that seems most clear to me, especially when I play it now... Is that they needed more time? Right. This move, this this game should not have been tied to the movie. If they uh, if they actually had the intent of making a good Superman game on its own uh, on its own terms, then it's it's a lesson that that comic book games really wouldn't learn until a few years later when Arkham Asylum hit it so big. Yeah, where it wasn't tied to any other media adaptation it was just trying to make a batman game that was adapting the the comic book mythology uh with sound gameplay mechanics yeah and the thing that's interesting about superman returns as a game is that it sort of takes a step in that direction but the overriding interest of having a video game tie-in uh prevailed and it's i i even see it when I read the statements of marketing executives around these big event movies, these games actually 
contribute a pretty significant amount of revenue to the overall movie event. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, like I remember when when the Dark Knight game was canceled, there was going to be one that was uh, made by I think Bioware, huh. and uh, when it missed the schedule, uh, a marketing marketing exec for Warner Brothers said that they missed out on maybe a hundred million dollars of missed revenue. Right. They were they were they were counting those beans, you know. So um, these these do have a pretty significant place in the overall standing of what the movie event is going to be for the studio, and uh, and and that's to me what crippled the overall experience. There there were some very sound elements, particularly as you mentioned the flying. The flying is probably the best of any Superman game that's ever been released. Uh, the the feeling of flying around the city and the visual of the city itself the the altitude that you can get to when looking down on the city yeah they, they uh, talked about the processor and 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 how that allowed them to do that which they hadn't been even able to do and seem to remember them talking about how they were going to initially plan it for the Xbox and then it became 360 um, mm-hmm. and they the processor difference how they were able to build a higher dome. Because I was like, how do you determine the height? And you're like, there's, there's, there's a dome, and it is determined by processor because you have to render all that stuff. Um, sure. But yeah, it, 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 as a game, um, it, I remember thinking of it as the first you know, GTA superhero kind of game outside of maybe right. like a City of Heroes kind of thing. Um, and it, it, it's weird. You, you get Superman doing this a lot. He paves the way for a really good, um, awesome Batman property. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. you have the, you have the initial Superman movies, which are beloved and I still love them to death. And then like 10 years later, you get the Batman movies, which kind of take it to another level and then lead to the, the, the Nolan Batman movies, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and Superman kind of lurks in the background and then does Superman returns and kind of putters out and disappears. And then you have like, this this GTA style Superman game where you know the the flight and the city is very well rendered, but the fighting is kind of eh. And then like what was it? Eh, it would have been four years later. You get uh, Arkham Asylum, um, or what, what year was yeah. Arkham Asylum? It was August of two thousand nine, so it was just under three years oh, later. That that feels yeah. So then so then you have the Superman game where it tries it, and then Arkham Asylum where it's like bang bang bang. Okay, they're firing on all the cylinders. And maybe it's the maybe it was like they were gonna do that Superman game in the style of Arkham Asylum, but they ended up running up against the movie deadline and released it too quick. And so, hey, you know, let's do it right with Batman um, or another company. It wasn't the same company, was it? Uh, oh, that that did Arkham yeah, Asylum. It was no, a different it, company, right? It was a different developer and a different publisher right. overall. Yeah. So it was a totally different set of eyes right. that were, so uh, that were that, making right. decisions. We can do that right. <laughs> and sure enough, they've been walking to the bank for four games now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the other... I remember a, a Game Informer issue right before Arkham Asylum came out. It was sort of like the big revelation of what Arkham Asylum actually is. Right. And de- developers at Rocksteady Studios were talking... Uh, it seemed earnestly about taking in all of Batman's gaming history so that they know what worked and what didn't. Yeah. And so that they could just use the stuff that worked. And, uh, and that game obviously benefited from learning from history. In addition to all of the other excellent things that that game did. And I really do believe that that game is a masterpiece. Right. Um, they they actually learned from the history, and that has never happened for Superman. Yeah, and it's crazy because Batman has such a long and storied history of great damn games. 
I mean, well, I don't know, at least for me, like playing the Batman NES game growing up was a blast. And the Oh, that's legendary. Yeah, and the, and the, and they, the very similar, one of the reasons why they did, I'm sure, the Death and Return of Superman game was the Batman Returns Blizzard game, which is just, I, I've played that every couple of years since it's come out, you know? Well, it's viscerally satisfying, yeah, you know? Punch, 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 throw, you know? Yeah, yeah, into the wall, right? right yeah. It, you know, I still can't beat Catwoman in that game. Though. <laughs> I I have a hell of a time beating Catwoman in that game. Yeah, uh, yeah Batman has great games, um, and it's very comparatively. Like, and, uh, what's that? Well, th- that's the thing. I think that you know this. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation with you is because uh, you, for for so long you were embedded in everything Superman. Uh-huh. And, you know, as as someone who has dabbled in general gaming press stuff, uh, I guess you could say, quote unquote, mainstream gaming press stuff for a little while and only a little bit. But that's the thing is that from the fans perspective, from the embedded fans perspective, which I was first, Batman absolutely has much more uh, gaming gems than Superman does. But from the wider perspective. Both of the, a, a general gaming reporter or a general gaming reviewer would say that both of them have awful histories just in general. Yeah. Uh, because those classic games on those 2D systems are very easily forgotten. They shouldn't be, but they are very easily forgotten. Yeah. And, uh, and with, with Superman in particular, you've seen a character that has gone through especially over the last 30 years such ups and downs in the minds of uh of of the public consciousness you know he's he's been so many different things over the last 30 years probably in comparison to the rest of his of his history over the last 75 or 77 now yeah. 78 and uh and and his his gaming exploitations kind of mimic that to a degree because they are all over the place but you've never really had something that has been extremely solidly critically acclaimed partially because the gaming press didn't exist really as we know it in the 2d era of gaming and because there have been at least two instances or maybe three you could probably argue three in the 3d era of gaming where it's kind of gotten close but there's been no cigar whatsoever i think i have a theory on that (laughs) you know you might be surprised but i have a theory on superman um i think that it's probably the same reason they have not had an extraordinary amount of success with the movies and i know that that's a contentious statement because everybody's going to point at man of steel and batman v superman and be like well they made huge Amounts of money, um, not realizing that the studio kind of looks at them as semi-profitable at best, um, and and usually they do that through rose-colored glasses. Um, but the reason that the reason that Superman has floundered in in my experience in the media um, and in comics in general is because a lot of people have no idea how to approach them. Um, in video games in particular, um, and in movies in particular, and sometimes most of the time in the comics. Um, they look at him as a character that needs to be fixed. They look right. at the character that is, as a character that is fundamentally flawed because he is not brutal and because he does good for good's sake. Um, they treat him like he is a difficult character because he has adversaries. To, to, to have an adversary to that fights Superman, the theory goes, you have to have someone who can also push the moon, and that is absolutely a false thought. Uh, Lex Luthor proves that completely wrong. Right, exactly. 
Um, the way you the way you attack Superman is you 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 come at him in ways that he is helpless. His father dies, and it's the most devastating moment of conflict for him at all because in all of the in all of his years because he has all the powers, but he can't save him. Well, you right. can create dilemmas out of that that reflect uh, an extraordinary difficulty for Superman. Um, and and yet don't make him violate his character by snapping necks or um you know beating the bejesus out of someone or i mean the closest to me you can get to a violent angry broody superman without corrupting the character is what burn did with the burn b y r n e to the b u r n with Mongol, where he's so mad at Mongol that he decides that he actively wants to use his heat vision on it and that's about as angry as superman gets because he <laughs> He is composed. He is the person that you can be doing awful per- things in front of them. He's he's a father figure. You can be doing awful things in front of him, and he will realize that it's not because you're a bad person. It's because you just don't know what the right thing is yet. Whereas Batman will be like, bad man, bad things, beat him, he will not do it again. And there's right. validity to both. You know, like I, I had a conversation with a friend. Like, who would you rather be punched by? Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman? Typical, traditional geek. Conversation, mm-hmm. um, and this was after they had had it on a podcast, you know. <laughs> so it's like it's, it's it's just recurring. But I I would much rather be hit by Superman than any of them. And the reason for that is Batman is going to break your bone right in the place where it hurts most. So you know that that hand which you use to steal candy from the old lady will hurt for a month, and you will think about it, and you will not do it again, and you will not consider doing it again because Batman has made you hurt. Wonder Woman will cut your damn hand off, and she will do it with the best of intentions, and she will do it while pleading with you not to make her cut your damn hand off, but she will do it, and then you will have no hand, and you cannot steal again. Superman will flick you with his finger, trying to knock you unconscious in the most gentle way possible, while trying to talk you out of doing that awful thing that you're doing, and he doesn't care if you learn your lesson, because he honestly believes that you will in the fullness of time. Um, His force is scaled. Yes. Well, he he also believes in the essential good of people. I think Batman has been taught by his experiences that that bad things happen to good people and you must prepare for them. He's very reaction reactionary in a kind of like pseudo dysfunctional way, but he has turned it into a productive way. Whereas Superman always just kind of believes the best in people, and 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 it takes an awful. Lex Luthor is the only person he'll look at and be like, oh God, that guy is wholly corrupt. And it's because he's seen his nature as wholly corrupt. But everyone else, I think Superman would give too many dang chances. He would be he would be the old lady who would let people steal things out of his yard again and again and again, thinking these kids are going to turn around. But bringing all of that back to the point that I was trying to make, video games, it makes Batman very easy. You do a satisfying psychological thriller like Ar- Arkham Asylum, you have compelling story, you have a good beat-em-up, and you have a character who can be killed and is in constant peril and danger. With Superman, it's more moral. You have to have a game where the stakes are the tension that he feels in not being able to do a thing. So you you have to have a situation like if they did that Metropolis that they had in um Superman Returns, and you had a situation where he has two dilemmas that he has to solve. The Superman, the movie dilemma. You know, he's got two mm-hmm. missiles, and it's an impossible dilemma. And even though he's Superman, he can't get to them. He has to get to one and then get to the other. If you make a game that's like, bang, 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 how hard is it to be Superman even with all these powers? Because you have to move fast, or you have to think fast, or you have to be a better person. You're faced with a moral dilemma where you have to decide between the lesser of two evils and still come up with things that make sense. 
it's the it's the man of steel dilemma. Um, the, the critique that I have most leveled to it. He snapped a dude's neck at the end of the movie, and a lot of people defended it because they're like, he had no choice. Zod was going to kill everyone. And, and, and my response to that is that, like any good dilemma that you present to people, like any good conflict for any character, it must reflect the character and then elevate the character. And that's one thing it did not do, um, because with Superman, he would find a way to stop Zod and not kill him. Um, and so that would be the premise of a good game. You create a situation where you have a Zod rampaging through Metropolis, and you have to figure out the way to stop him and not kill everybody. And you can use other characters to help achieve this. You can have, have side characters give him the tools that he needs, and he has to go and find them and be smart. But it's not as visceral, and it's not as thrilling, and it's not as wonderful as Batman beating the bejesus out of the Mad Hatter. You know, mm-hmm. And that's why it's a difficult sell to executives, I'm sure, and why it's a difficult sell to the general public, but if you created a game that worked on those premises and it had good mechanics and it had all of Superman's powers limited only by the ability to solve problems, you would have a game that would be thought of in in, in the way that Arkham Asylum is. I- well, and it's also a difficult sell to game designers. Yes. Uh, I remember... It's yeah, exactly. It's hard to translate sort of the moral nuances that are inherent with... Su- I mean, just for the record, I agree with absolutely everything you said. One of the things that I often write about when, because I do a column at movies.com every week called Comics on Film, Superman has been the subject of it uh, pretty consistently since the release of Dawn of Justice. Right. Because uh, there are some serious problems that I have with Superman's portrayal in that movie specifically, even more than in Man of Steel. But um, I, one of the things that I firmly do believe that, is that right now, Superman is punished in the minds of both the people that are telling stories with him and in the minds of the general public because he is psychologically well-adjusted. Yes. For some reason, it's, it's a difficult thing to, uh, to believe in someone that powerful, I guess, being well-adjusted. Yes. You know, we, we reward characters who have some sort of, uh, of psychological handicap or character handicap because that's for some reason more relatable to people. But I mean, I have always believed that the relatability of Superman lies in his desire to be human. I also think it's that, that the, the right Superman stories are not being told. I think that people are trying to tell Batman Superman stories. And I think Mm -hmm. that if people were to see how come like, okay, as an example, and this is, this may be a bad example, but you have the mass effect games and the Mass mm-hmm. Effect games are not about the power Shepard has so much as the choices he makes with that power. Um, and they are slow. Um, they take a long time to finish. You, your, your game is more to develop friendships and tell a story than it is to do the awful, awesome, badass, I'm going to fight this boss, even though there are a couple of compelling boss battles. Um, and it, it, in the end, it is a much more memorable experience for me than almost any superhero game because you become that person and you put yourself in their shoes. Um, but no company is going to be like, let's do that with Superman. They're going to be like, if we have Superman, we need the big put because people focus so much on the fact that Superman can move a boom. He can shoot fire from his eyes. He can blast people with, with freeze breath. Um, those mm-hmm. are the things that people instinctively go, oh, that's what's cool about Superman. Um, and so what they want to see is they want to see Superman and Batman fighting, and they want to see Superman using his powers on Batman and how Batman stops his powers, at least in the mind of the executives or even in the minds of a lot of the fanboys, I think. 
Um, and I think that this instinct is natural. I don't think that it's it's wrong headed in that. I think that it, it, it makes sense. You want to see, you know, who would who would you want to be hit by Superman, Batman or Wonder Woman? You want to see them meet. You want to see them talk. You want to see them on the screen together. Um but then you get a situation like Batman v Superman where it's all just about that. Um, right. Whereas then you get a situation like, say, a Captain America movie. Um, and Captain America is not Superman. He cannot move a moon. But arguably, he's effectively invincible compared to most of the other guys. I mean, he can be shot, but they're never going to let Captain America be shot. He's going to block the bullet with his shield unless it's a story mm-hmm. choice. He's effectively invincible in the way that Superman is invincible. He just doesn't have the output of power. And the focus on those movies is always the doctor pointing at his heart and telling him that it's important to get up when you've been knocked down and keep fighting evil. And it creates a much more compelling story than Man of Steel, which is like, it's my brooding duty to save humanity. And I'm going to do it because I have to, but it's such a burden, you know? Um, and that's, that's why that movie feels totally off. If they had kept that Captain America spirit, they would have had something. And as, as it's been pointed out to me by a friend, um, Superman is, and, and the DC heroes are, are, are mature adult villains. They choose, villains, heroes. They choose to do this thing out of the, because it's the right thing to do. Whereas with the Marvel side, generally, with the exception of Captain America, which is why he's my favorite, <laughs> they yeah. do good because they have to in order, it's in a very adolescent mentality. Iron Man will feel crippling guilt if he does not make right of the fact that he's given a bunch of people munitions. Um, Black, Black, uh, Black Widow has some horrible things in her past that she must atone for. And if she wanted, if, if she, she'd be much happier to go off with Bruce Banner in the movie universe and just have a nice family. Bruce Banner turns into a horrible green rage monster that kills people. So if he doesn't atone for that by fighting crime, um, he's going to be a horrible person. Whereas Batman, yeah. his parents died. And instead of just wallowing that in that for his entire life or running away, he just chose to build himself up into a hero. Superman has all the power in the world. And instead of doing what any sane person would do and just using heat vision and scorching the entire earth and leaving, you know, if you watch the news, um, he's like, no, I see the, I see the good in these people and I'm going to be the adult in the room and I'm going to act like the person in the center of the argument who is not going to result in name calling and I'm going to try and find equitable peace among all these people who keep shooting themselves in the face, you know, and yeah. it's a very adult mentality. Well, it's nuance. Yes. You know, there, there's, there's a nuance level of morality, especially in the origin of Superman and what the, the, the wealth of experiences that lead him to choosing to become a hero. Right. There's, there's an element, you could argue that there's an element of destiny and predestination to what Superman ultimately does. Right. But at the end of the day, he is the man that he is because of his experiences and his his extrasensory perception allows him different experiences than a normal person can have in some respects that gives him more insight into being a compassionate resident of the planet earth and 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 conscious of the suffering around you whether it's uh whether it's in the next town or whether it's in another country he has the ability to see and to empathize with suffering on sure. all levels. So how do you and, make that uh, video game then? Exactly. Well, and, and that's the thing, you know, because we live now in an era of gaming, particularly comics-based gaming, where some of the most critically acclaimed entries 
are not sort of these superhero simulators like the Arkham, as good as the Arkham games are and as effective as they are in translating the Batman character into that medium. Arguably, I mean, the most critically acclaimed comics-based video games are the Walking Dead games by Telltale. I mean, those are often uh, singled out as Game of the Year nominees whenever those come out. You just went the and, exact direction that I was going to go, actually. Well, the, 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 I mean, there, it's it, it's kind of a, a no-brainer when you want to think of a, or a, a video game that can translate... Uh, stories of moral complexity or more moral complexity where the impetus instead of on uh, the player character's ability to fly faster than a speeding bullet or to move a moon as you said it's on the choices that you make it gives you choices to make that have moral significance and moral consequence that is in essence one of the primary uh the primary factors that Superman has to endure in his heroic career. Um, now, I don't think that that means that you can't make a, a good, solid Superman simulator. It just has to tell a story that is effective for uh, the quote-unquote medium in which it's being told, you know. Um, okay. And they're not they're not going to stop trying to make that game. I'm very confident of that. That game... Even though, so we have a Batman Telltale game coming out later this year, and I'm praying to to any authority that Superman is next for that treatment. But um, I do still, at the end of the day, even with all of those things that I know, I would still love an experience that puts Superman's powers front and center. But it can't... Well, you, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go I ahead. I was going to say, you can do both. You can have your cake and eat it, too. There's no reason, because the best comics are always the ones that set up the psychological drama ahead of time in, in the Superman universe specifically. Like during, during the triangle years and even during the post triangle years, you would have this, the, the, one of the best and most simple examples is, I think it was up, up and away, the Busiek Johns one, you know, right. like you, you spend four issues creating a dilemma for Superman and Luthor together. And then the last issue is them just mono a mono beating the bejesus out of them out of each other until they're flying through the air saying I hate you God I hate you to each other, and mm-hmm. you can do that in a story whether it's Clark Kent doing a detective style story to to uncover things um, in in a, in the Telltale style in the first couple of and, until it builds up into something that is a job for Superman and then mm-hmm. you do the beat 'em up, um, you know. It can't right. be done, and Telltale could probably do a really, really good game in that. Oh, absolutely! And one of the things that I actually firmly believe too, and we'll we'll get back to Superman Returns. This is more broader Superman <laughs> topic right now, but um, I'm actually a relatively recent convert to the George Reeves show. Mm. I I did not watch that show for as as someone who calls Superman one of his two absolutely favorite characters in fiction, I am constantly embarrassed by the fact that I did not give that show a chance sooner. That's okay. But I There's 75 years of material, man. Right, yeah. It, it, <laughs> and 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 I was more caught up in in learning about his comic book history and in the 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 movies that were a little bit more recognizable from a visual perspective to me. But the thing that shocked me when I first started watching the George Reeves show was about, it was not long after Superman Returns when I first gave it a shot. It was after I graduated high school. Um, the thing that shocked me was the amount of nuance that Reeves provided as Clark Kent and as Superman. And the thing that I found refreshing is that the Clark Kent 
of that series in particular seemed like it was more uh, reminiscent of what John Byrne would do in the comics. Yeah. In, in, Clark in the Kent 80s. is fully half of Superman, and people forget this. You don't even see him as Superman in some comics, and you certainly don't see him as Clark very much in the movies that they're making. Right. And and in that in that show, you wouldn't see him actually transform into Superman until, like you said, a situation arise that necessitated Superman's action. Yes, yeah, Superman is only there as the solution to the problem that Clark Kent is investigating, at least in my opinion. Um, right. Because Clark Kent is, is – people do the, is he Clark Kent? Is he Kal-El? Is he Superman? And he's all three to a degree. But I yeah. can argue he's more Clark Kent than anything else, even though it might be, you know, like – I don't know, 40, 30, 30, you know, um, mm -hmm. but that's how he, his moral compass derives from where, who he was as, as Clark Kent. And, and people focus on the wish fulfillment more like, oh yes, he likes, he, he likes being that smart intellectual nerdy guy who's solving problems, but he really flourishes and is, and, and is who he wants to be when he's Superman. The confidence that's deep within him comes out, but when he's Superman, he's the same man as Clark Kent. It's just he can't be like, I'm confident he has to downplay who he is, and people don't see it because people don't want to see it in other people, and that's why Superman is so great. He always sees it. You know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, as an investigative reporter, it's far easier for me to envision George Reeves Clark Kent as a uh, as a highly decorated investigative reporter yeah. over Christopher Reeves, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Christopher um, Reeves is very bumbly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he writes he's, fast he's, copy. That's what he does. Right, yeah, exactly. He, but he's very meek, whereas George Reeves Clark Kent gets scrappy from time to time. He's not afraid to maybe knock a couple of heads together if it if it means that he's going to tell a story that needs to be told. Yeah. And, you know, he's going to practice restraint if he's not in his Superman suit, but still... That, be that as it may, he's 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 investigating actively. Yeah, and he's the guy who's my, written five or six novels. He's he's confident to a degree, you know, but but he's he's low key, you know. He's yeah, he's going to very quietly interview people and figure out the mystery. Yeah, and so my perspective now is that maybe the key to Superman's future is his past, in the sense that you know the George Reeves style of of uh, delineation between Clark Kent and Superman was diminished because Christopher Reeve did, did such an amazing job in creating two distinct personalities. Yeah. So that was sort of established as the rule, whereas maybe nowadays George Reeves would probably fit a little bit more, especially with modern sensibilities, as far as what Clark does for his job and how Clark behaves when he is Superman. Sure. But But be that as it may... Getting back to the Superman Returns game, because uh, we, we've we've gone we've gone all around. We've gone a bit astray. That's I mean that's that's fine with me. I mean I love talking Superman, and hopefully people that listen to this episode do as well. But the Superman Returns game seemed like a a golden opportunity to sort of right the ship to a degree about what a Superman game can be, and there are certainly elements that it gets pitch perfect. Uh, which we've gone over. But, I mean, the thing that is continually disappointing to me when I play it, even now, and I still play it once in a while. I mean, if I need to get a fix of flying around Metropolis, that's the game to play, you know, because yeah. you, you get that perspective. You get the supersonic element, and, and you know, the, the Bizarro stuff is, is pretty fun, too. But um, with Superman Returns, 
I am constantly dissatisfied by the fact that I can't go into any of those buildings. Yeah. There is a great level of detail on the outside, but the way that Metropolis is set up is as intricately and as well-crafted as that city is. It is still surface level. There isn't a great deal of substance to to the city, and I think that says a pretty significant amount about the game itself as well, because like you mentioned, with the day-to-day stuff, or the level-to-level interactions before you go to each boss encounter, it kind of just does the bare minimum as far as moving the player from A to B and telling what you could probably charitably describe as a story. Uh, I mean, it it, it just kind of goes through the motions because you fight dragons in the skies, you put out fires with either your super breath or your freeze breath, and then you fight a tornado at the end. And there's no Clark Kent. <laughs> and there's no Clark Kent except in, in those cinematics. I mean, that's uh, one of the episodes that I did at the beginning of this year was on the 2003 Hulk game and um, that was based on the Ang Lee film. Right. Yeah. And although that game could have been better, the thing that continually makes me just root for it is the fact that it did create two distinct gameplay experiences for each character. So half of the game are stealth segments where you are Bruce Banner, where you're trying to find the key to your, your, your cure. You're trying to find a key to diminishing the Hulk for good. And then the other half of the game is the knockdown, drag-out, wall-crashing, titanic-strength, green-rage Hulk <laughs> stuff. And Superman has never gotten that. Remember, he really does need a game that's that's representative of Clark and of Superman. You remember that All-Star Superman issue where Luthor gives Clark Kent the tour through the jail? It's my favorite one, probably. Right. Imagine that as a video game. You're Clark Kent, as, as just a level in a video game. You're Clark Kent, oh. and you have to go through this jail. You cannot reveal your secret identity, but you have to use your powers in a clever way to solve all of the problems around you without losing Lex. Bang. That's actually right brilliant because it, it, it brings a different kind of element to stealth gameplay sure. because in normal stealth gameplay, you can't be seen. But in this kind of stealth gameplay, you can be seen, but it's just your powers can't be seen. Sure. You can move you know? at super speed back and then move super speed forward, use your vision, use your power, you know, and, and because of the chaos, you know, you get a certain amount of time to do it before everybody sees you. Yeah. That would be brilliant and would make me happy to no end. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, well, now my mind is going to be racing all day. <laughs> thank, thank you, Neil. But now, now that you've sort of revisited this, because I don't know, I, frankly, I don't know how often you get to talk about Superman anymore. Oh, every but, once in a while with Steve. I mean, I still keep in touch with Steve since I've left the homepage and we act at Superman. I, I stayed away because of the uh, New Fifty Two. I was not. Uh, I'm not going to disparage it, but it wasn't for me. Um, sure. And now I'm back, actually, with the uh, with the rebirth. With the rebirth. Yes, because they they brought back Jurgens and they're telling a lot of stories that I find compelling. And they brought back the Superman of those days. Yes. Too. Yeah. And they've done it artfully. I I didn't think they could do it, and they've done it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well. As as it stands right now, when you look back on the experience of uh, of interacting with the Superman Returns game, mm-hmm. 
it, it sounds like it was valuable for you in the sense that you got to see a different type of journalism that you weren't exposed to. But as far as the implications on the character and for the character and what what could potentially be learned from this game going forward, because we have not seen the last of Superman in video games. No, before. nor shall we ever. <laughs> no, nor, nor should we ever. Yeah. But um, what, what what's your overall perspective on this? Do you look at this and see an experience to be learned from? Or do you uh, or do you see something else? I see it as kind of a push. I mean, it, it it definitely gave a new mechanic to the game with the with the flight, and it definitely showed that, uh, that there is still um, there is still a substantial group group of people who are going to play. But they always they they never seem to elevate it to the next level. So I think it's just one. I, this is my optimistic take on it. It's one more step along the road that's going to lead them to finding what makes a good Superman game. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not one of the bad steps. It's not a step down. It's a slight step up because they improved the flight. They put in a lot of heart into the detail in the world. And the world was reflective of the comic book world that we all know. Even if you couldn't go in the buildings, the world was mm-hmm. there. And people reacted positively to that. And hopefully they remember that people reacted positively about that because people like you and I are still talking about it 10 years later. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that, I hope they take that uh, Superman is more than a beat 'em smash 'em up, um, and that uh, he has a character that needs to be put into these games in order to create the masterpiece that they want. Well, and and I'm glad that you because I, I maybe what I've been doing over the course of this conversation is diminishing the role of of the flight element, and I don't mean to. <laughs> that is clearly one of the single most important parts. Of of getting Superman right in a video game, and because you know the the element of flight is so closely identified with Superman, even more so than like Peter Pan, um, it, it 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 perhaps should get a, uh, a a larger percentage of the overall grade when determining uh, more representative or or I guess just good Superman games. So yes. The flight element is pitch perfect, and if there is a studio that comes along in the future that takes sort of the rock-steady approach to Batman, where they try and consume all of Superman's gaming history to find out what was done right and what was done wrong, then if nothing else, Superman Returns should be, uh, should be the clear candidate or the clear example of what uh, was correctly gained about flight. Absolutely. It's the good shell to build on in terms of like the visual aspect, like the character, the visual aspect, and the beginnings of the mechanics. Although I have to say, as as much as building up the flight is an important thing to 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 be like, yeah, this was the good element about it. Um, any single element of Superman is not so important in in how how it how it is depicted in a video game so much as the fact that the world appears realized because. If you look at that Death and Return game, it's not necessarily the most direct Superman translation. It's punch, 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 boom. Punch, 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 boom. But mm-hmm. you feel like you're in that world, and so you forgive its shortcomings. Superman Returns had the opposite problem. It had a lot of very realistic depictions of things, but not the feel like you're being Superman as much. It's more like you are flying around in a city... You are doing the things Superman would do, but there was some of that missing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
I think uh, I think we've done a pretty pretty substantive job of moving <laughs> forward and backward and everything in between when it comes to the Superman Returns video game. So Neil, yes, where where can people find you? What do you want to tell people about that they may not know about? And uh, and what else do you think people need to know about the the Bailey that is Neil? Well, um, I am at page 750 of a comic called Curate Ipsum, which is the worst name for a comic book ever, um, but but it relates to the plot. Um, it means physician heal thyself, and I will spell it for you. It's C-U-R-A-T-E-I-P-S-U-M, all one word, or you can go to neilbailey.com with an A, N-E-A-L, or you can go to charlieeverett.com. All will redirect to this comic book that's almost finished. Um, it's been going for about six years. I'm trying to finish the thing and it will be finished in December, I believe. Um, and then I'm going to move on to another thing called the dysphoria, which you can Google in about a year, I'm guessing. And I'm releasing a book in August called muscle and blood. Excellent. And, uh, if, if they wanted to find the previous novels that you've written, is there, is there a regular place they can go to do that? They're not presently out, but if someone emails me and is especially interested, I, I tend to, um, send people old stuff. But right now I'm trying to move forward with a detective character named Hal Taylor, who, then that's muscle and blood. And I'm trying to self-publish. I've, uh, I've got a, uh, professional editor and I'm hiring someone to do an awesome cover and I'm going to come at self-publishing a new as opposed to the way I kind of did it before, which you probably experienced, which is more gung-ho. I'm doing it all myself. Now I'm trying to actually find a structure now that it's uh, become more common and more acceptable and do it in a way that gives me everything that the benefits of an editor and a publisher would have had. Um, and yet I can still do it on my own and manage it on my own. So Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, Neil, thank you very much for for joining me on this issue of Comics on Consoles. I hope you had fun. Yeah, good to be and, uh, Let me talk your ear off. Hey, my pleasure every time. And uh, and if you ever have anything else to say about comics-based video games, you just let me know. Dang. In the past days, we have seen our beloved city attacked by dark, sinister forces. Metropolis was nearly destroyed by tornadoes, earthquakes, and a rampage of notorious villains. Finally. We survived one maniac's twisted dream that would have destroyed all we hold dear. The Man of Steel would have given his life, and nearly did, to save us. We live, every man, woman, and child, because a strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men had long ago decided to walk among us. I asked the question, does the world still need Superman? The answer is yes. That's going to have to do it for issue number 8 of Comics on Consoles and the story of Superman Returns the video game. Again, a very special thanks to my discussion co-host Neil Bailey, who I hope to have join me at some point in the future on this show. Before I leave you, just a quick programming note. It's not lost on me that this issue was very late in coming out, and I sincerely apologize for that. I appreciate your patience and bearing with me, since the only real explanation I can offer is that life happens. Be that as it may, I hope you'll join me next time as we explore another comic-based video game. Speaking of which, I thought that it might be interesting to explore a property next time that has only ever produced a single video game adaptation. It's something of a strange one, too, since the story it's based off of is a movie adaptation of a self-contained comic book series, and the game experience itself is pretty shallow, but also oddly satisfying. 
It's also somewhat unique amongst comics-based games because it attempts to be a surprisingly substantive untold chapter of this story's world, which would weirdly prove to be slightly prophetic considering its publisher's future attitudes and exploitations of the story itself. Be sure to join us next time as Comics on Consoles issue number 9 moves the doomsday clock ever closer to midnight by diving into Watchmen, The End is Nigh, developed by Deadline Games and published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment for Microsoft's Xbox 360, Sony's PlayStation 3, and PC. In the meantime, feel free to follow Comics on Consoles on Facebook and Twitter, check out our website, comicsonconsoles.com, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Podbean, or your favorite podcasting app of choice. Also, be sure to check out my weekly column, Comics on Film, at movies.com, the most recent edition of which features my review for Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment's Suicide Squad. Comics on Consoles is a member of the Pod Tyrant Podcast Network, as well as the Batman Podcast Network. Until next time, keep saving the world, gamers and comics fans. After all, the world needs people who continue to believe in heroes. So, why not play one in a video game? Thanks for listening, take care, and we'll talk with you again soon. This show is part of the Pod Tyrant Network. For more podcasts, interviews, and content, visit PodTyrant.com.